the fifth annual Spooky Spoilers. I like that one. <laughs> Having fun here. Hi, I'm sorry. Technically, I did not kill Heather Chandler, but hey, who am I trying to kid, right? I just want my high school to be a nice place. Amen. Did that sound bitchy? If you were happy every day of your life, you wouldn't be a human being. You'd be the host of a Midwest movie podcast. Mm. This is Spoilers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so true. <laughs> it really is. I haven't had a bad day since we started this podcast. Can you believe that? No, no, I don't no. <laughs> it's been Not five years. So no. Five years of happiness. It's been a boys. rough time. Believe it. But I am your host, Stevie. Tonight's a very special episode. Tonight we are doing not only a Patreon request, but also we're having that very patron on with us. Film Dylan, what is up? Hello, hello. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Woo. Love, love being on this show and listening to it. Big fan, obviously, as a as a patron and. uh Excited to, to talk this movie tonight. We are obviously spoiling the late 80s classic Heathers. Um, I imagine it's a movie Josh would consider dangerous. We will see. Uh, but tonight we will go Weesis to Esis because Corey demanded it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the opening question, which was given to us by Dylan, pretty much says, End of the world rides on a croquet match. Maybe against aliens or something, I don't know. Assemble your croquet, your croquet dream team, real or fictional. The dream squad. All right, Lunchtime yes. poll. Oh, geez. This is Corey <laughs> Kylo Ren memes recording out of Simi Valley, California. I know nothing about croquet. I imagine that's the case for a few of us because it's a pretty obscure sport. But here is my team this is going to be my team we're going to defend the earth based on this croquet game david robinson patrick ewing mm. larry bird <laughs> michael jordan <laughs> scotty pippen clyde drexler carl malone john stockton charles barkley magic johnson and of course chris mullen the heart of the team christian leitner was leitner that's on the gonna dream be team? my my lineup yes he was Corey, can you say who uh, yeah, wasn't? Yeah, but no on one really cares team? about him. Yeah, he doesn't have to bring on the college dude. It's fine. Corey, how much time did you spend consulting the Dream Team Wikipedia page in order to make that <laughs> list? Uh, I have it up now. I'm going to close that tab. I no longer need it. <laughs> I think the real question is how happy were you that Isaiah Thomas wasn't on it? <laughs> you know, Not as happy as Michael Jordan was. I, know. I wouldn't be it's on the thrilling. team if he was. I'll say that right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Am I. I'm traditionally the next yeah. most Eustis, even though I'm not anymore. This is Pappy recording from Kalamazoo, like the Prima song, Yeah, uh, like Corey always says. Um, Corey took one of mine. I would go Michael Jordan, but specifically from The Last Dance. <laughs> uh, we saw how he was with the coin flipping game. There's no way that guy will let us lose. And I'm going to grab Death from The Seventh Seal, wow. but I'm also going to grab Death Whoa. from Bill and Ted's uh, <laughs> Very nice. Bogus Adventures. I'm going to have two Deaths on my squad plus Michael Jordan. No way we're fucking losing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty strong. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll go next. I don't know. 
what the order is. Uh, Mikey recording from Goshen, Indiana. Uh, tough question because didn't know croquet was a team sport. So I don't I don't know if it is either. <laughs> quite frankly, <laughs> yeah, my, are we all holding the same pole and all swinging together uh, as one? <laughs> you, could, you could treat it as that. Yeah, why not? Swapping. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, because croquet is like such a non-athletic sport. It really doesn't matter. So do I want to dominate you with a bunch of unathletic weirdos or do I want to get some real pros in here and just stomp you? Because I'm not losing this croquet match. Uh, Well, that's a given. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll take... This Christian Slater, Christian Slater from <laughs> Gleaming the Cube, and Christian Slater from Mr. Robot. And <laughs> wow. uh, what about Christian Slater from Broken Arrow? Oh, Broken Arrow would be a good one too. Yeah. True romance. Croquet, not a real sport. Doesn't matter. <laughs> this is Josh from Goshen. Uh, I did have a basketball angle, of course, because we are from Indiana, but uh, Kylo stole that. So I'll do my backup. I'll take Greg Maddox one of the best precision pitchers of all time. Plus he looks like my dad. And then I'll also <laughs> add my dad. <laughs> I'll add my dad on the team. He's a really good shooter too. And I'll just be on the team too. Cause I just want to have some fun with the pals. Um, yeah. Maybe Brad Stevens could be our coach and, and I'll go to player. That's what I'll do. Do you pitch in croquet? I think that hand eye no. coordination really translates here. I mean, you just need to be a regular dude. I think Josh is thinking about cricket. No, I wasn't. Cricket? Nobody understands cricket. <laughs> you guys know what a crumpet is. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know where Dylan's from or is currently staying, so. I'm definitely the Eastus. I'm over in Virginia. <clears throat> oh. All right, yeah, so I'll go. Um, this is Brett recording out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, I'm, I, I need people with good short game, good ground game. I'm going to go with... My favorite golfer, Brooks Kepka, Tiger Woods, and, and lefty Phil Mickelson. I mean, if the world's on the line, I need the best uh, golfers. So to play Smart croquet, yeah, it's similar. I played a lot of croquet. It's been a long time though. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, we used to. I mean, they sell them like yard kits, like games and stuff. We used to play all the time. I really, I really like it actually. Kylo, we have yards out here, man. We can do that stuff. Foreign country. Weird. <laughs> All right, am I up next here? Sure. All right, so I, you know, I got to think who excels in sports that are kind of sports, kind of not. Could be argued that maybe they're just games. And my mind immediately went to bowling. So who better than my Skype profile picture, Walter, Donnie, and the dude himself <laughs> to save the world from the Big Lebowski, of course. I mean, those dudes can roll. And uh, I think they they can put the world on their backs if they need to. Of course, they. What uh, if it was during Shemar Shabbos? Yeah, then we got a problem. That's exactly what I was about to say. We we got issues there. We'd have to be very careful about the scheduling um, and make sure we, we properly stretch and everything. But you know, also there might have to be some dog care going on simultaneously. Who knows, really? But well, leave your peace at home. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is a this is a, a formal match of croquet for the. Uh, no, if there's aliens involved, you should probably bring your peace. Human race. Yeah, maybe so. That might, that might help. This is Stevie recording from Elkhart, Indiana. So, he's obviously going to be a fictional character. He's someone that I think 
even though they're not good at something to start with, they could overcome pretty much anything, including illegal sand to the eyes during the final match. I would take Frank Dukes from Bloodsport. I, <laughs> I think the montages of him training for like the end of the world croquet match would be incredible. Plus, I think he would do something cool like the Dim Mac where he would like explode the croquet ball like before like it even started and he would throw the alien invaders for a loop. Like That's amazing. And, that answer is the best. And then you could have like Jackson there too where he's like let's go Frankie. And like he's drinking like Bud Light and has a Harley thing on and he's just like getting in the other aliens faces. It would be a great Bloodsport true sequel, I think. Like, you might be losing, and then he'll have a flashback, and it'll be like, I did not sign up to be his punching bag. <laughs> you remember? <laughs> <laughs> okay, shall we get into Heather's? Man, oh man, yes. oh man. Real quick, can I, can I maybe uh, speak to why this was my... That was what I was going to ask you, so please, go yes. ahead. Uh, I chose this plain and simple along with the other ones I floated because I kind of figured it would polarize uh, the crowd a little bit. Um, I mean, the comedy in this movie and the dialogue is certainly not everybody's cup of tea. And then kind of blending that with some pretty dark and twisted themes and events at times. Like, it's it's certainly its own thing. And, and you know, couple that with some weird editing choices, weird aesthetic stuff like that. I just figured this would kind of be a, a divisive one. And, and you know, what, what kind of better thing can there be to really stir up a podcast conversation than that right? you know? <laughs> he just wants to sow chaos especially the comedy like i mentioned you know, very curious to see what uh you know the the uh, renowned king of comedy Corey, thinks of some of the dialogue and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and comedic beats in this movie but we'll save that for down the road i suppose <laughs> straight face the whole time oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, pap um, can you kind of strap yeah. us into the world of Westerberg High? Yeah, so we're in Ohio. I think we're in kind of everywhere Ohio. We never really specify where in Ohio. Um, an important, I guess, aesthetic feature about Heather's. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like, Steve, you called it like the fog filter or something. Josh, I don't know if you have a more. Yeah, it's like a dream filter. A more technical like term for it, but it, the whole thing kind of looks like a dream. Especially we're in the daytime. Did anybody else kind of get that vibe of the big time the look? Yeah, it's weird. It's not bad, but it's weird. I think it was put in there from the producers, but that's just my thoughts. What do you mean by that, Stevie? So this is like, especially for like the time this came out, which was the '80s, which was heavy, heavy on pushing like kind of family-friendly values, and this is also during kind of still like the Reagan era um, of film. I think that with the subject matter they were dealing with, I think the producers kind of wanted a cop out of saying, yeah, but it was just all a dream or, you know, this is kind of a hazy kind of memory type, you know, if it's all in someone's head type thing. So I think that's why that was put there. So you think you think like the look of the movie is like an out? Yes. To like 100%. To like almost back out of what this movie is doing. Yes, 100%. See, I, I see it as like more of a instant sign of like, don't take this as like happening perfectly in real life. Take this with a grain of, of surrealism and a bit of like uh, suspension of disbelief. Just I don't know what if the that producers was just, wanted. Yeah, I suppose that could be the case. But I think with a movie that takes the turns it does, it has to kind of like indicate to you like, 
hey, some things are going to be a little bit off kilter as you kind of progress through this. And that kind of like shows you that right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. The look of the movie reminds me a lot of Blue Velvet. It's hard to explain. I can see like that. why, but like maybe like just like the distinct primary colors and everything. But this is late '80s high school. We've done a lot of '80s movies. Not, I guess, like we did Breakfast Club, so like the quintessential '80s high school movie. Uh, we did Purple Rain too, another '80s movie. But the, the fashion's very '80s, and we're dealing with a very stereotypical plot, um, but which kind of subverts itself. But like the the popular clique in school, the Heather's uh, plus Veronica. And how everything unfolds. Brett, you've been dealing with a Heather of your own. Um, can you kind of explain <laughs> the? Uh, oh. Can you explain the Heathers to us as well as Veronica? Yeah, sure. It looks like uh, it was in Sherwood, Ohio, which I don't know if it's a real place or not. But Middletown, um, USA. Uh, the Heathers are just a click. They say it a couple times. They're just popular. They're kind of what they would call nowadays like tastemakers. They. Uh, decide what's cool, what's not cool, and they are really mean and nasty people. You think that they're all like varying degrees of nasty, but you find out like two of them are pretty much the same. One of them's got more of a heart, but you know, standing up to these girls is pretty much impossible, um, unless you want to like poison her or whatever. But yeah, they're really mean. There's one Heather who's the main Heather, and she's just awful, awful human being. So. They run the school. That's what they do. I will give the movie a lot of credit for not falling into the trap of making all the Heathers like basically the same character. I think mm -hmm. a lesser movie might do something like that. And I think there's even an early misdirect when there's like a repeating conversation with the parents of, of Veronica. Want some pate? The pate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They kind of like repeat a couple things. So you think like, oh, they're just going to kill Heather and then the next Heather and then the next Heather. And it didn't do that. And I thought that was pretty cool. This movie's a lot like Jawbreaker. Am I right? Has anybody seen Jawbreaker? Mm -mm. Oh, I figured somebody would have. It's terrible. People know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'll, I'll bring <laughs> up one that is uh, probably more known. It's like a a precursor to mean girls in in the fact that it has to do with like these really popular girls that are really obnoxious and then we have our lead character who's like attached to them but is separating from them throughout the movie in a way right yeah uh, it's almost one for one you've got like the leader you've got the second in command you've got the the kind of airhead and then the one who's who's new to the whole thing i think there's actually like a connection between the guy who wrote this, I think he's actually brothers with the guy that directed Mean Girls. I might need to fact check that, but mm, perhaps cool. there's some family ties going on there, or maybe somebody has already confirmed this point. I had in my notes that it was a mix of dazed and confused with Carrie, and that it's possibly a precursor to Brick, Stevie's favorite film of all time. <laughs> Coach. Coach. Did anybody else? Did anybody else watch Recess growing up? A little bit. Recess schools out. It. Yeah, I had no idea. There's like a set of characters called the Ashleys in that show, <laughs> which is definitely like a one for one reference to oh, yeah. the Heathers. And they even like all dress in the same, like each of the Ashleys has a distinct color that they wear and each of the Heathers has a distinct color that they wear. Like the the bitchiest Heather wears red, the kind of nice one wears yellow. And like the, I think the one that's like coming up wears green at first and she switches to... yeah. To red. Renee from Mallrats, yeah, she wears green. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Dylan. Mm-hmm. I think you're the one to talk about Mean Girls, right? Yeah, I just found it here. Yeah, Daniel Waters. Yeah, the director of Mean Girls is the brother of the writer of Heathers. Very Mark interesting. Mark and Daniel Waters. Brett, weren't there a bunch of other coincidences you wanted to bring yeah, up? Yeah, Brett. Oh, please. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brett death segment. Hotline deathline news. Spoiler alert. I mean, some of these are less, nat- uh, more natural than others. But, okay, so, and again, I want to preface this by I'm not making light of this at all. It's just based on what the movie is kind of like. Is this the first one since Charles Rocket? It's been a while, yeah. And I, I dropped the ball since then. Okay, We're adding so, a disclaimer to the segment. I love it. It's yeah. <laughs> a true segment. I mean, this movie's about death and suicide and stuff like that, and we got a little bit. Okay, so the main Heather, Kim Walker, uh, died at 32 from a brain tumor. Jesus Christ. Uh, she mentions a brain tumor in the movie. I was just about to say that. Ooh, that's oh, there's creepy. Another, there's another coincidence uh, that is also in the movie. Okay, so next was Glenn Shaddix, who I actually love. is in Beetlejuice and uh, Nightmare from He's a pastor. Mm-hmm. He died at 58. He he was like wheelchair bound towards the end of his life, and he fell and hit his head, and he died. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the boring guy who's kind of like save the world, and he's like, I dated Heather. She said I was boring, <laughs> and I think during the funeral he said something like, I would never kill myself. Yeah, he killed himself. Oh um, no, Brad! At 34, oh, shot himself with a shotgun. <laughs> uh, Sherry Wills. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys asked for it. Uh, Sherry Wills, she played the country club Courtney. She's the one at the very beginning where they're like, oh, I love that cardigan or whatever. Uh, she died at 53, dementia, possibly triggered by COVID. Uh, Veronica's dad, William Court, 57, cancer. The smoking counselor, I'll say the smoking counselor because I don't want to say he's the, I don't know, he's the guy who gets yelled at. Stuart Mabry died, 43, AIDS. Uh, John Engel, the principal, 84, cancer. We'll, we'll give him half credit for that. And uh, Kirk Scott, Christian Slater's dad, 77 cancer. That's eight people. That's got to be a, rec- uh, a new record. I also have a much more fun one later. I'll save for later. <laughs> people that are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, but someone that Stevie's going get, to get a kick out of that was in this movie. Someone that's going to be dead soon, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, he's alive. He's on oh, my can list. Can I take a guess right now? <laughs> sure. Is it uh, Festin from Three Ninjas? No, no. No, played everyone, Ram. everyone should know that one, but no. Oh, that was him, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew I recognized when, the face. When we did the Three Ninjas pod, we're like, we never see this guy. And he was great. Besides Jag. And he's also, he's in, yeah, Mike Mikey says, in over 200 episodes of Jag. Jesus. <laughs> Good Lord. But yeah, uh, sorry, you guys, I, I said I had it. I hope I didn't bring everybody down. No, we needed to know that. Yeah, bro. Those are things that we just... We, we always need to know the death count. Staple of the show. You know, it's, it's better to get it out there in stages like that than... Or just all at once like that. But, you know, outside of just doing stages of you telling me every time you introduce a character that person killed themselves or not. <laughs> I can't wait till a patron picks a movie from the 40s and Brett's just going to read the credits of the yeah, film. I probably wouldn't do that, but With yeah. a cause of death. Died in World War II. Died in World War II. Choked on. Ham sandwich. <laughs> Ham sandwich. Korea. <laughs> Korea. <laughs> oh, that was too funny. Josh, we kind of talked about the subject matter a little bit in this movie. It's pretty dark it's funny it goes in a lot of different directions do you find this movie i guess you'd say off-putting or dangerous at all dangerous 
<laughs> yeah. Do you think like this movie would inspire people at all, or do you think it's just kind of a very like grain of salt silly movie? Well, we joked about making the. We like to make the spoiler at the opening of the episode like really bold and attention getting. Do it. And we flirted with the idea of throwing out some sort of Columbine funny joke. Um, because, like, soon. Yeah. honestly, Christian Slater looks like he's part of the trench coat mafia in 100%. this movie. 100%. Um, he's very, wow. very much glam. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> he's very much glamorizing uh, killing kids in schools. He's the bad guy. Oh, yeah. He's a vigilante. I mean, that's pretty much what he is. He's like judge, jury, and executioner, or judge, Judy, and executioner. Judge Dredd. Pappy has this thing where, like, if a person is, quote, a bad guy, then everything they do is, like, uh, I guess apologize for. But I think he's, like, really shown as cool. Uh, I, I don't want to be the PC warrior here, Pap, but I, I do think it's not Christian Slater's fault. But if he were to look back on this now and watch this role, I think he would cringe a bit seeing this again. Acting though. What is that whole thing about Pappy is a, a villain apologist? It's just painful to see, <laughs> Brett. I'm not. I, it's not his fault or anything. I'm just saying it's a role. I mean, I don't think he'd be cringe about it. Maybe some of the language they use, but I think he would. I don't know why Josh can get away with excusing all of Jafar's atrocities, <laughs> but then everyone else somehow is under the microscope. Yeah, if you're the bad guy, you're allowed to do bad things. I mean. Clearly, Winona Ryder's attracted to his like bad boy outsider image, but she definitely loses that at some point by the end, right? Like, it's not. Yeah. I don't think we're supposed to sympathize with the Christian Slater character, really. I mean, he's not the the high school jocks. He's a different kind of bad within this little high school society. But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that he's like an aspirational figure unless someone's taking the film in the total wrong sense. And I think people like that are probably already on that path if they're going to be motivated or inspired by that. But but like you said, like she didn't really want to kill anybody and she realized he's just a psycho. He's coming up with less and less reason for killing these people. I mean, yeah. Is she the dumbest person alive? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> uh, these are tranquilizer bullets. Uh, they're not going to kill yeah, anybody. I don't, she's dumb. I was like, uh, she's totally in on this, right? I don't understand. I just think you might be a little naive if you think you can watch this movie and not see the comparisons of a long black coat, bringing guns to school, bringing, bom- bringing bombs to school. this came out school. literally 10 years before Columbine. Yeah. No, I'm with you, John. I'm not saying that it's not. I don't see parallels. I'm just saying it's not like Columbine was the first school shooting. The thing is, though, at like the 10-minute mark, when he pulls out the gun, that is fucking shocking to see. And I went mm-hmm. into this, this movie pretty cold. Like, it's just like a shocking moment. You're like, was this all a dream? Like up to that point, yeah. like it's hard to even like reconcile because it's a hard cut after he shoots those bullets. Yeah, and they're like, oh, he's just gonna be suspended. He shot blanks at him. It's like that was yeah. still that that's <laughs> fucked up. You can't do that, <laughs> bro. I mean, you're a weapons expert. Like- I'm not an expert. You're the guy that John Wick goes to before he goes on his missions. Death and weapons expert Brett. I mean, wouldn't that still like hurt somebody firing blanks like right at them? Well, uh, wouldn't you go deaf? Yeah, a guy. A guy has yeah. died. Uh, an actor died messing around in between shots. He put a a gun that had blanks in it up to his temple and shot himself, and he died. Uh, he was like an up and coming actor. He had a TV show. The Crow. No. But also, that's some. 
that's a major hearing loss. And Brandon Lee, I think, died from like a blank that didn't a rod. Yeah, there he we had go. A rod pierces chest. No, guns are pretty dangerous all around. I mean, like, uh, and your hearing loss would be really, really bad uh, if it was that close. But yeah, it would be everybody in the cafeteria. Everybody would be deaf <laughs> in that cafeteria. Part of me wishes, like, after the quick cut, we would have seen like those two guys, like. Obviously, like having some hearing loss, just like shouting at one another, thinking they're like talking at normal <laughs> levels. Yeah. Like part of me just wishes I'd seen that. But Corey, you're like the comedy expert on this pod. You live for comedy. You seek out comedy. What to you was the funniest part of this movie? Honestly, that part was the funniest part <laughs> of the movie. The, the part when he goes to shoot him. Because, all right, we didn't really set up Christian Slater in this movie super well, but... He's like a mysterious figure in the cafeteria, like watching the high school drama, seeing the clickiness of all the girls. He's clearly uh, like locked on to Veronica, who is Winona Ryder. And when he gets approached by these two like beefy jocks, one of them is Festin from Three Ninjas. Like I'm really wondering like, what is this dude gonna do? Like, cause he's like clearly set up as like the rebel. And I, th- I think it's gonna go one way, but it goes a completely different way. When the jocks, get in his face and he like pulls out that gun and we get that hard cut like i was laughing i was like that was epic i didn't expect that at all these like surprise jokes in there like the more surprising they are i think uh the funnier it is in this movie uh so that was probably my favorite um and i guess to kind of expand on christian slater he's uh jd or jason dean so he's like the james dean guy he wears a duster he's got great hair and he rides a motorcycle he also has a sick harmonica intro every time he appears on the screen. Also a reference to J.D. Salinger, writer of Catcher in the Rye. Oh. Mm. Also a very dangerous book, right, Josh? Very dangerous. Kill <laughs> the phonies. Dylan, I have a question for you. Yeah, go for it. This movie goes in a lot of different directions. Obviously, there's like dark humor. There's just straight darkness. There's humor. My question is more of just like what's happening on screen as far as color. What is with the colors red and blue? What do they mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, so the way red kind of hits me in this movie, uh, I feel like you can kind of most get from the very first shot, which is uh, Heather, I always mix up the last names. I think it's Chandler, Heather Heather number one, the leader, Mm -hmm. putting on her her hairband. And, you know, red is usually like kind of passion, power, lust, stuff like that. So combine the last two, lust for power is kind of what I get. You know, it's like this desire to be at the top. And that's what, you know, Heather Chandler is surrounding herself in red. Her whole house is red. She dresses in red. And when she's dethroned, you see Heather Duke start to rise from that green to red, like we were mentioning earlier. So I think red is kind of the status and like this this longing to be at the top of kind of the social hierarchy in this school. Um, blue, on the other hand, is all, ar- all around Veronica, uh, mm-hmm. Winona Ryder's character. Um, this one's, I feel like, a little trickier, and I had to resort to my AP Lit <laughs> uh, information, <laughs> as I mentioned on a, a recent episode I did on, on Cine Study. But um, blue is a lot of times uh, loyalty as well as freedom, and those were the two that jumped out to me the most regarding Veronica. She's kind of like, even though she's a part of this clique, She's sort of free from its rules. She kind of branches out from those constraints quite frequently and like interacts with these other groups. She's just a little bit uh, more willing to operate outside the lines of what this Heather group 
really is. She's kind of her own thing, and and the blue is is pretty much following her the whole movie with that in mind. And she's also loyal to the people that who like who have actually meant something to her, like Betty Finn, a character who pops in and out of this movie that we might mention a little bit later. Those are my reads, though. They could be wrong. People could disagree. <laughs> Those are, that's just what jumps into my head when I when I see these things. It's kind of like also like any like red is like basically the opposite of blue, right? I mean, like if you were just gonna say what's in terms of like primary colors, like what's the antithesis of blue? You'd probably say red, and like red's like always associated with Veronica being uncomfortable or like outside of her element until the end until she grabs a red bow and like puts it on her head and kind of gains that power like the scene at the party later on that whole scene is like a red light in it you know what i mean like the the house is being lit by a red light so anytime she's like being like on her heels or like the the society around her is imposing on her she's like in red but like when she's in her room or in her house or with her parents then she's surrounded by her like comfortable blue color so like if for nothing else like the attention to detail of the color is what I fucking love so much. Like like everything down to like her highlighters and her staples and like the, like the pins that she wears. Like there's so much blue. Like any chance they can do blue or red, they they fucking go for it. I love that. Definitely. Yeah, I was a big fan of the. Like I really liked how red kept becoming more prevalent towards the end of the film. But Mikey, I have a question for you. <laughs> what did you make of the murder for the two like jocks? Like in the woods. I think that is honestly one of like the brightest parts of this film. I I don't know what to think of this movie, honestly. <laughs> because my plan has worked. I mean, what did you guys think of it in the beginning? I was like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, this is uh not what I expect. I, I went in cold like Pep did. I didn't know what this was about. Honestly, the School shooter angle caught me really off guard. Uh, And then I was just like, oh, is it more of a comedy and not trying to say anything about society or politics or whatever you want to call it? Uh, Because uh, Winona Ryder is just so stupid uh, and going along with all of these things that Christian Slater is saying. It's like really obviously... Uh, he's just really obviously lying to her about everything. And yeah, it's like, those are, those are clearly bullets, you idiot. What are you talking about? They're German. It's not even like a funny scene, I don't think. it's To me, it's not. I don't know. The cop running down the hill always cracks me up. And then not just that, but <clears throat> when he like gets to the car and they're making out, and he's like, oh, it looks like I chased a rabbit. Yeah, and then the cop, the cops are also idiots in this town. <laughs> They're stoned. They're like smoking weed in the cop car <laughs> before the call comes. Let's roll. I love the one. So the whole, yeah, the first half of the movie, the tone is totally different from the second half. I feel like, and it's much darker in the second half. Here's my Stevie question. Christian Slater says he's been to like seven or eight schools or whatever. How many people has he killed at those schools in the past? <sighs> he's pretty fucking efficient at this school. He's got like four people in two weeks. True, he racks it up pretty quick. I mean, I feel like his response after killing Lead Heather would lead me to think this dude's a pro. This like isn't even like one of his like more favorite kills, I guess, if he has a list like that. Like, I imagine if he's gone to seven towns, killing started like on town four, and he's just been like racking it up ever since. 
And is it a father-son combo? Are they... Oh, his dad loves killing. Their dynamic is so fucking weird. What is the dynamic, Pap? The kid is the dad? Uh, very unsettling. I mean, it's like they, like, roll reverse the whole time. You know what I mean? That's how they, like, communicate with each other. It's kind of like this little game that they play, but it's all of their communication is literally 100% mm-hmm. like coked in or caked in that, like... Freudian. Hey, Dad. But it's the son, or the, the dad saying that to the son. It's very strange. Yeah, Freudian, like you said, Josh. Oh, yeah. Can Before we get into the second half of the movie, Stevie, did we talk about the first Heather's death, the poison? Oh, please do. Well, I think... If someone hasn't seen this movie, it's important to understand that the basic premise is our main character, girl, meets her love interest, and he's slowly like coaxing her into murdering people. And the first one is kind it's maybe the grayest area one. It's set up that he, as a joke, pours like Drano into a cup. And she's like, no, let's just do a prank like milk and orange juice. But then he pour- they they kind of do like a, a hidden find the jack thing yeah. with the with the cups. Like yeah. I, I had no idea what was going so on. So this there. is the only death that if she would have like maybe stopped after this first death because the first Heather boss Queen Bee she gets poisoned dies like right away. This is maybe a third of the way into the movie. It, like if if she stops here, could she have gotten out of it? Like it was this Winona Ryder's. Maybe she could have drawn the line here. Well, she's given like ample times to draw a line. And this one, you're right. It is extremely gray area because you're like, well, she didn't, you know, she's shocked that she's dead. But also she's kind of being coaxed into believing that, you know, she wanted to kill her. So it's it's a really weird scene. Like this is kind of where the movie starts to turn. This is only like 25 minutes in. Plus, let it be known that this first Heather, I think it's Heather Chandler. She truly is like an evil person in this movie so Mm -hmm. you get a feeling as a viewer she kind of deserves it plus winona kind of truly didn't know i think that's what that was kind of the purpose of the lunch like the cafeteria scene uh where she tricks that poor girl into thinking like a guy wrote her a note i think that's kind of the purpose of like someone so evil could do this you know what would you feel like you know if she died and as an audience member you really don't care and what is the color of the poison she drinks? Or the Drano she drinks? Blue. blue. Super blue. Blue. <laughs> Bold blue. Has there ever been like a student body more apathetic to the death of one of their peers <laughs> as this high school class? Like no one gives a shit. <laughs> People are dropping like flies. I think that's where this movie really excels is because, you know, rather than Hedler, Heather Chandler dying and it becoming this very tragic thing, everybody's just kind of taking the opportunity to rise in the ranks in their own right. You know, <laughs> Get promoted. The, the, in, yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole school board is saying, well, first of all, this is a major hit to us, not because we had a suicide at our school, but because it was a very popular student who killed themselves <laughs> at this school. And it's it's just kind of this massive lampooning of this whole, you know, uh, it's it, it's like the, the idea of sensationalism and, and kind of taking something and, and really twisting uh, what's kind of sad and tragic into how can I uh, make this look like a better image upon me? And I think that's where, you know, one of the the main strengths of this movie, uh, you know, through all of the deaths that they rack up. Yeah. Everyone's so, like, self-absorbed, you know? Like, I mean, everyone mostly, but especially, like, the students. And it's... (laughs) 
It's pretty funny, actually, to see them, like, go give their silent prayers over the first Heather who died. <laughs> and it's all just, like, about themselves, like, thinking about other things or, like, you know, ah, oh, you shouldn't have killed her. She was so hot. Like, that's what uh, Fester says. <laughs> so <laughs> I went out with her once, and she thought I was really boring. But I realized that she just wasn't happy in her own life. <laughs> does that that's take really you guys good. out of the movie when it kind of does that, like, jump cuts between characters? I feel like it's like it's funny and I I had fun with that but it's a little less cinematic or something don't you think uh, maybe it seems to fit this movie pretty well I think that kind of stuff I think the crazy is like well ingrained in this movie <laughs> that's so true you can have like these you know um, more spastic moments the guy who keeps saying he's telling God jokes is really cracking me up saying like the horniest stuff oh just joking Jesus Jesus God in heaven why'd you have to kill such hot snatch it's a joke man jeez people are so serious hail Mary who aren't in heaven pray for all the sinners so we don't get caught another joke (laughs) (laughs) no one could take a joke anymore the preacher blamed uh, quote MTV video games on her suicide exactly You know, there's, this is before the Beavis and Butthead game came out, so what, what is he even talking about? What a game. I mean, I mean, he was calling Fox News like 10 years prior before they were doing that shit. But I think... Otho. What's that? Otho. Otho, Beatles, yeah. I think he might be my favorite part of this movie. The three funeral scenes might in total be my my favorite kind of takeaway from this movie like every line of dialogue Can I is, guess why? is beautiful yeah go for it is it because in one of them they're all wearing 3d glasses <laughs> i do <laughs> like that very on brand say. yes very on brand that's a dream though right i i think yeah i think that's just trying to slowly uh make it apparent that none of this is real during that third kind of funeral sequence but i just think every line that glenn shaddix delivers makes me laugh very hard wait 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 none of this is real no, 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 no. <laughs> Backtrack. The, the third funeral. The third funeral. Yeah. No, it's a movie, Josh. Well, the, 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 also that. <laughs> that yeah. is my least favorite, uh, maybe like fake death, because they show, but without the fake dream fog, they, sh- they show Christian Slater entering Sh- Shannon Doherty's room with a knife. Like, why isn't she dead? I, d- I don't get that part. Yeah, I mean, well, that whole sequence kicks off with Veronica laying down to sleep. And then Christian Slater wakes her up to remind her of Moby Dick and the word Eskimo. And that's when you kind of, I, I, I think it's not, I, I like that they kind of went a little bit more subtle than putting any sort of dream filter on it. The camera movement kind of changes. It gets a little bit more like okay. handheld and kind of floating around the space. A, a main shot comes to mind where they kind of run into the kitchen and you're following Christian Slater and he like turns around right to the camera as he starts yelling at Veronica and everything just kind of slowly uh, like keeps rolling and rolling through that sequence, and, and the buildup is, upon, is very. Upon well which done. rewatch did you catch that, though? I mean, I've only seen this movie twice. The second rewatch being a couple of days ago. The first time I picked that up because once you get the ghost of Heather Chandler, basically, and Veronica, you know, like looks into the uh, bowl of holy water and it becomes spaghetti, yeah. and then you see her eye <laughs> shoot open. That's when I was like, ah, so none of that just happened. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's no reason why that Heather would be in Veronica's house, right? Like the layout of that whole right. murder doesn't make sense. So I, I thought I had like missed a scene. I like went back, but like 
I don't know. Also, like when you have a whole movie that's in a dream filter, and you have a scene that doesn't have the dream filter in it. I think it's a cool little like subversion. Like the dream looks normal. You know what I mean? But real life looks like a dream type thing. I think it's a pretty cool way of looking at it. I just figured it was shot out of order. Uh, and that's probably something they just didn't attach onto it. But I like that, Pap, how dreams look like real life and then real life looks like dreams. Stevie, do you think this is like a lot of commentary on the church here? Like her dream about going to a funeral, it's as arbitrary as having 3D glasses and like just so ch- cheap and plasticky. Flower lights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I'm with Dylan. I actually love the church scenes. Um, I'm still trying to figure out why the 3D glasses and like white suits, but I think my f- my favorite church scene, honestly, is when the dad is like eulogizing his son. And he, oh, so good. Oh, my, Brett, just can you tell us that? That line is so funny. Uh, I, I mean, I won't be able to get it exactly, but like, you, he's up there. <laughs> I know it shouldn't be funny, that funny, but he's up there and he's like, he's yelling, but he's surprised that his son was gay, but he's, what is he saying? Man, sorry. I should have, I was just kind of agreeing with you. I don't remember the quote. Like, I love my dead he was gay a fair, son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And him and his friend are like being buried with football helmets. On. So that might be the funniest visual to me in the whole movie. Yes. When they smash cut to that, I just lost it, dude. It is good because they don't shoot it to be like, like an annoying insert joke, like you know, like from like the top down. They're just like laying there and kind of like lower on the frame, and it's like, what? Why are they doing that? No one's gonna address it. Okay, it's not flattering at all. Sorry, I don't have more to say. I'm just, yeah, it was really funny. He's just, everyone's just up there watching him. And he's I think just, he even said something about his son being a pansy. It just, yeah. Th- <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, but- in so many words. This is the other yeah. dangerous part of the movie is that a lot of F, F words dropped. Um, not, <gasps> And I'm not talking about fuck. Uh, oh. and, and like, yeah, I think homophobia is a huge shocker in this. But... Going like growing up in northern Indiana. You ever been to Ohio, Josh? It's either brews or mineral water. <laughs> no, growing up in northern Indiana in the nineties and early two thousands, this is really what it was like. So like it's not great, yeah. but it's realistic. No Yeah, and I'm not excusing it all, but like the eighties was really bad because that's like when AIDS and HIV like really uh, became you know, out there. Like I don't know if the most brutal part of Dallas Buyers Club is like the they don't understand it's so frustrating that he gets AIDS and they're like assume that he's gay it's just like people didn't really know anything about it and again that's not what they're doing they're just being douchey kids and that's like a biting uh, diss back then but I'm saying like when you heard like gay it was like immediately bad in the 80s I think a lot I think the AIDS epidemic had a lot to do with it but I think you're right that it did yeah it was like a very bad um, like stigma attached to being gay back then, and definitely a hard time for gay people. I'm sure. I don't care that you really were some pansy. You're my own flesh and blood, and you no, know, you made me proud. My son's a homosexual, and I love him. I love my dead gay son. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Like there was no like coming out, really. Uh, only at your funeral, yeah. bro. <laughs> and only when you're forced. And to it was be. definitely said like very hatefully in this movie, right, Pap? Oh, yeah. um, but and mostly by bad guys, I think mostly. I I don't know. I mean, I've talked about this on so many super bad podcasts. I've always had like the same take. It's like if a like a villain character is saying a slur that makes sense within the context of the movie. And in fact, that's the movie condemning the use of the slur, right? Like no one watches 12 years a slave and thinks that, uh, what's his name from love and mercy, Stevie, um, Paul Dano, Paul Dano, Paul Dano. No one thinks that Paul Dano is a good guy. Yeah, he some says part the of this country probably does. Well, okay. I'm sure. But like, I, I think that <laughs> like Heather's, that path. <laughs> Heather's even more so than breakfast club. Like, it's all the bullies who are like homophobic. Like, I feel like Heather's is pretty profoundly against the like homophobic mentality of like the Midwest at this time. Even like where something like the Breakfast Club is a little bit more of a gray area. Where like, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Judd Nelson. Judd Nelson was John using Bender. the F word. Yeah, loosely. Like, it's like, are we supposed to like this guy or not? Like, this is pretty hardline. Where no good guys are like making well, fun of someone for their sexuality. Christian, Christian Slater, uh, when they kill Ram and Festin or whatever the fuck, <laughs> stupid names, uh, he's like, those those guys had nothing to offer after the football season besides uh, date rapes and AIDS jokes. And so it's like, he's kind of justified and he's not, he's kind of sticking up for... That's sexual not a death sentence, though. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Date rape's bad, but they don't. We don't see them actually doing that, right? Not that we're, well, we they agree with it. him, but his justification makes sense to him, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and to what some it is. extent, and it's to some extent Veronica too, right? She's like, well, I guess type thing, which is like right. we're supposed to sympathize with Veronica, not Christian Slater. Dylan, I was going to ask you: this movie gets really dark towards the last third um <laughs> what do you kind of make of the like it takes a really dark turn in the last part but what do you kind of make of this part of the movie yeah it's very interesting i i, I think it kind of does a good job of getting there slowly kind of sprinkling in these bits of like hey there's still some kind of humanity under here i feel like the first big sign of that was a little thing i wrote down which is during that football funeral the moment where, you know, Veronica and JD, they're kind of joking around. And then you see this little girl in the front row who I assumed is, you know, maybe one of the football player sisters. She turns around and there's just tears streaming down her face. She looks totally wrecked by this whole thing. And that's where you see this look on Veronica's face, like just this moment of realization, not full realization. There's still a long road to go down. But like there's this little hint of humanity that starts to work its way in before, you know, the third act becomes very haunting. It, all your enjoyment of watching JD is kind of disappearing through the, the third act of this movie. Um, I appreciate that it kind of goes there. This is a movie that sprinkles in big dark moments and then kind of retreats to the comedy. And the fact that it kind of ends with going full dark, I think is, is bold uh, for a movie that probably I have to imagine a lot of people went to see expecting something along the lines of Breakfast Club or something. I don't know how this movie was marketed, but if you just look at the poster, <laughs> maybe you're probably thinking like, all right, teen comedy. <laughs> You know, and I think it's definitely a risk. Um, and I imagine this movie was probably not the biggest box office hit because of that. But um, okay. yeah, I mean, I appreciate the risk taking. This movie has one of the shittiest posters I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It lo- it's teen rom-com, the poster. It looks like that. For those that d- haven't seen it, there's a few, but the most common one is just Christian Slater cradling Winona Ryder in his arms and they're smiling at the camera. It's like, oh, okay, this is going to be like a love story. Say to, anything. <laughs> two teenagers meet and Say fall in love. Say anything with sticks of dynamite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look how cute Christian Slater is there. Just a regular Jeff Dahmer over here. Super cute. <laughs> Why does he look like a man that can come to life? Is he wearing the trench coat? I can't see the poster is so small on my screen. I think he might be. That could be a red flag. Why does Christian Slater sound like he's doing a... He just sounds like he's doing a shitty Jack Nicholson impression. Right. So maybe I am killing everyone in the school. Because nobody loves me. Let's face it, all right? The only place different social types can genuinely get along with each other is in heaven. Try the red one, all right? Seriously, people are gonna look at the ashes of Westerberg and say, now there is a school that self-destructed not because society didn't care, but because the school was society. And, <laughs> like, yeah. Reading that, like, that he was trying to go for Jack there, but like, I hate it. Always sounds yeah, like Yeah, it's Jack. like he clung to that his whole career. I'm gonna blow up Westernburg. <laughs> <laughs> All these kids are gonna fucking die by my hand. Watch this movie and then go watch like Easy Rider. It's like, Mikey. you can tell it's kind of like what he sounds like, but man, that's a really good impression, Mikey. I'm so glad you guys caught on to that because once I thought of that like a third in the way into this movie it just stuck in my head yeah i was like man he's doing he's crushing it as the joker right now he is just throwing his arms out with that stupid fucking smile i was like okay we're doing jack give him give him some green gas and he's the joker (laughs) yeah i mean he goes full joker he talks about the society at the end he's (laughs) i took a note we live in a society i don't know why i got these scars uh yeah he's like doing a lot he's like doing the genie Doing exactly. Dude. <laughs> that is perfect. Bro. I thought that of that earlier so today. Perfect. I love you. <laughs> love you too. Genie, I need help. All right, Sparky, here's the deal. If you want to court the little lady, you got to be a straight shooter. Do you got it? Stevie, IMDb fact. Apparently, Brad Pitt auditioned for the role oh, of JD. Oh, man. Better or worse movie with Brad Pitt as JD? Worse. No. <sighs> Brad, people don't remember, like, Brad Pitt has gotten to be a better <laughs> actor with age. I, don't, I think he'd have been a little out of his depth in this movie. I really do. Nah, Thelma and Luis was fire. How much of it was he in? I've still never seen that. <laughs> five, had, ten minutes. He had a monologue. Yeah, he had. <laughs> hey, he has his shirt he off. He has a shirt off for it's five worth minutes. It. I just, <clears throat> I mean. I mean, California came out, what, four years after this? When did A River Runs Through It come out? California. Oh, River Runs Through It is fire. It's a, that was That's his big, movie. like, legitimate acting. He wasn't even role. the star of that movie, though. Yeah. No, but I think the guy from the program was. But Craig Craig Schaefer, Craig Schaefer, some of that. Brett, yeah. did he die of drugs? No, he just didn't do much. <laughs> okay, I don't believe so. Okay, I thought for some reason I thought he died. I thought I'd ask. He was you. in One Tree Hill. I remember. I remember that. Yeah, but oh, yep, yeah, he's the brother in One Tree Hill. He dies. The uncle, yep, yep. Yeah. yeah, I just think that was like 
Brad's like acting big coming out party, I think he would have just been a little out of his depth in this. Because Christian Slater really does carry a lot of this movie. Surprisingly, I say that, but that's... I think he's good. Yeah, I think he's good. He plays crazy pretty well. The worst actor in the movie, I think, is the first Heather that dies. Strongly agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now check this out. You win $5 million from the publisher sweepstakes. And the same day that that big head guy gives you the check, aliens land on the earth and say they're going to blow up the world in two days. What do you do? I wrote down Troll 2 acting. (laughs) She was speaking. (laughs) She just doesn't seem to have the same, like, kind of rhythm that everybody else does. Like, anytime she would, like, have a joke that was supposed to be funny, I feel like she would drag it on for, like, two seconds too long, and I would just, like, want to get back to the other characters. I don't know. Well said. I don't know. Part of me thinks that's intentional. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Stevie. Part of me thinks that, like, if you're going to separate Heathers and you're going to have an alpha Heather, you're going to make that one Heather stand out, like, distinctly from the rest. And I think that was their way of doing it. Performance-based as opposed to, like, her actions? Oh, 100% performance-based. I mean, but think about if you stick, like, Rachel McAdams doing Regina George into that, you know, 20 minutes that Heather Chandler is in this movie. Like, I like that so much better just because she still has the hateable factor, but I feel like she can maybe capture the the comedy a little bit better. Like, none of the lines that a lot of people celebrate from Heather Chandler really make me laugh. Like, like what? In fa- the first 20 minutes are just kind of uh, rocky to me when it, whenever she's on screen. I don't know. You can, can you remember any of those lines? I mean, the chainsaw line is the infamous line, right? Yeah, I that's mean, the one, man. Love and that line. A lot of people love to quote that line, but like to me, the way she delivers it is so awkward and so to like, hey guys, I'm saying a joke right now. Did you hear it? That was that was kind of funny. And it's like, I don't know. It, it it just bothers me the way she delivers it. It's I don't know. I can't. What's I guess I can't put it to words. The line is, "Well, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa?" If you're gonna openly be a bitch. Heather, why can't we talk to different kinds of people? Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa? If I did, I probably wouldn't mind talking to the geek squad. Well, to me, it's almost like the entire cafeteria gets quiet so she can say the line, and then she (laughs) says it, and it's like still dead quiet afterwards. And and, uh, Wine on a Rider is just kind of like, Jesus Christ, what did you just say? (laughs) I will say kind of agreeing with Stevie. Maybe it's not on purpose, but I do think that personality affect she has makes her more hateable. And that works in favor of the movie, I think. Because, I mean, to Dylan's point, it is kind of jarring, though, hearing her say those lines. Because it somewhat takes you out of each scene to be like, huh, like the line is over the top, sure, but the acting is too. So, I mean, I guess I could see both sides. And you're happier when she's dead. That is true, regardless. I don't know, part of me, part of me wished she was in the whole movie. I'm glad you're dead. Does anyone here like 80s fashion by any chance? No. I mean, ironically. What kind of 80s fashion are we talking about? What's in this movie is absurd. <laughs> and it's absurd because it's accurate 80s fashion, I think. It is quite strange. The, uh... What jumps out to me is like the women's uh, jackets have like these very like sharp angled shoulders that are broad, you know, so shoulder pads, shoulder pads, shoulder pads. There it is. I don't know fashion terminology. Bro, those were in fashion until 97. Winona Ryder has a stupid hat in like every scene. 
She rocks a, a monocle. Old dad hats? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the monocle's funny, though. I also think, did anybody read the bit of trivia about, uh, like, capturing the 80s in terms of the dialogue and the slang? Um, the writer of this movie, like, basically invented most of the slang in this movie, which I think is really interesting. Like, it's not some of the stuff you would stereotypically hear in an 80s high school. The dialogue is so very. It is very. <laughs> I had never heard that before. Like, yeah. I could easily believe that that's... I thought it was real, though. Possible. I mean, I was it only four real. when this movie came out, so I don't really know. You guys see uh, Clockwork Orange? I, it... It works in your advantage in that it truly makes you feel like an outsider, I think, no matter if it's made up, like you're from this area era or not, you're going to feel like you're on the outside looking in. So you think her and her droogs when they were out doing ultraviolet? (laughs) (laughs) Many (laughs) apologies. To me, it almost feels like it's like an alternate reality where like this in this world, they they. It's everything's exactly the same. They just have different slang. Yeah, it's very it follows of the eighties. Kind of like in its own time. Um Pappy, can you break down the very chaotic and also psychotic ending of this movie? Um yeah, I can try to or start to. Yeah, um, we can throw it all around. They set it up earlier in the movie that uh JD Christian Slater's dad is a construction worker. And he has some dubious uh, business ethics at best <laughs> in terms of like the buildings that he demolishes. Um, it's murder. Yeah, but Christian Slater is modeling after his dad. He wants to blow up the school, which is kind of to Josh's point, a pretty shocking plot point. Apparently in the original script of this movie, he succeeds in blowing up the school and they have a prom in heaven at the end of the movie. Whoa, <laughs> like World's End? Like Greece. Which would have been a weird twist. Uh, Um, I do like how... So Christian Slater's in the boiler room. The nerd tells Winona Ryder about the boiler room. Um, And and that boiler room doesn't have the dream filter that the rest of the movie has. So it's like a pretty stark looking contrast. Like this is all caked in blue. While upstairs there's a a pep rally going on. It's all like drenched in red with the school. It almost looks like kind of like nazi colors with like the red and the black and stuff it's very weird but winona ryder like figures out what's going on she gets the gun or she has a gun from earlier or something i'm not sure how she gets the gun i can tell you yeah tell me so one scene we kind of skipped over is uh winona ryder fakes her own suicide in an effort to kind of get jd off the trail and very it's you have to like really catch I only, I only I didn't catch it the first time I only caught it the second time but JD leaves his gun when he gets out of there when Veronica's mom comes up so it's sitting on her bed the whole time uh, as the rest of that scene plays really out moves. so presumably awesome. just grabs JD's gun for that and and also just to before we get too far into the third act uh, JD has strategically blackmailed Heather Duke the next in command with pictures of her and a character we haven't talked too much about uh martha dunstock or as she's referred to martha dump truck i will say though that whole side plot is one of the many great misdirects in this movie because the whole time you're thinking that he wants winona Ryder to kill shannon doherty and get back on the murder train and get shannon doherty to do something like really shitty so that she deserves to die right but instead it's all about this like signing this petition, this online petition. (laughs) 
Veronica. Color me stoked, girl. I've gotten everyone to sign this petition. Even the ones who think big fun are tuneless Euro fags. <laughs> People love me. You know, you haven't signed yet. People love you, but I know you. Jennifer Forbes told me the petition she signed was to put a hot tub in the cafeteria. And Doug Hilton said... Some people need different kinds of convincing than others. Look, just sign the petition, okay? Don't talk to me like that, okay? Look, it was J.D.'s idea. He made out the signature sheet and everything, so why don't you just sign it? No. Jealous much? Yeah, I mean, it's using her power to kind of get the whole school to agree to a pretty radical thing, obviously, that they're going to, in unity, blow the school up. So, I mean, yeah, I think that is a very interesting little side plot. And we haven't talked too much about uh, Martha Dump Truck either. I think she's another, like, one of the, like I mentioned with the sister at the funeral, she's kind of another thread of just kind of humanity that runs through this movie. Every time she would be on screen, I just felt, like, very, very sad and sorry for her being mixed up in all this. There's a particular moment when she's in the gym and there's all this sound design of like a basketball game, like she's enjoying the game, and then we cut to a wide shot of that and it's just an empty gym that she's sitting alone quietly. And like those moments really like make you take a step back from the darkness and the comedy and say like there's still some characters in here that are like very innocently caught up in a lot of very tragic things. It's kind of like my favorite, uh, maybe it's, I call it an underlying theme, maybe it's more prevalent than I thought, but like, this whole movie is about like fake suicide, and making jokes about suicide, you have that professor that like, likes the suicide because she gets to experience something that she thinks, I don't know, to help the kids out, and all these people faking and everything, and then like the true person who's actually depressed, like legit depressed, that's like a kind of a sad, a really sad, like you said, kind of a sad theme is that she really does want out but all that does is just make people tease her more so it's really sad There's, there is one great bit of comedy though where after she walks into traffic when veronica's having that dream there's one person in the dream funeral who's just like wrapped up in bandages like a mummy that's presumably <laughs> like, Martha, like nice uh, i don't know if i noticed that but yeah to get back to the last scene uh christian slater is planning the bomb in the basement of the school. Uh, Veronica, after a little bit of struggle, secures the gun, shoots his middle finger off, I think, and then in that kind of a chaotic gunfire situation, shoots Christian Slater and he accidentally stabs the bomb, um, disabling it. And then I think he, they both stagger outside and Christian Slater suicide bombs himself while Veronica watches on smoking a cigarette. Pretty shocking. There's some painful like blows he delivers to Winona Ryder in this movie. It's tough. Such as. Yeah, she's messed tough up. Tough stuff, I mean, man. He, he does like a he pushes her head down and puts his knee up and she gets knocked out for a while from that one. Oh yeah, he jacks her up. It's the Bane move. Bonks her. Bonks her head. I that think explosion lighting her cigarette is a pretty pretty dope 
little thing. Is she, is she Tyler Durdening? Is she turning into JD there? Mm-hmm. Are, are you guys catching this? Was JD real? Yeah, that that's my question here. Is this a is this a Stevie or a Dylan question? I'm not sure. JD is Veronica. This is a Stevie question. I, I don't know if I can take this. What if JD is real? Is it Tyler Durden? Is it Tyler Durden? Is that, <laughs> is am I even Tyler? saying that right? Yeah, like is he Tyler Durdening? I haven't mispronounced anything this pod yet. I'm knocking on wood here. <laughs> uh, it's like Hesher or something. I don't think. I, I was watching this movie thinking it might go that route, but I think that's just like in my brain because Fight Club. She has a jacket on at the end. Her hair is kind of like slicked back and she's smoking that cigarette. She kind of looks yeah. like him. I, I don't know. I, she's it, evolved. It would be pretty cool. This isn't even her final form. <laughs> Brad Pitt was in this movie the whole time. It's true. <laughs> it's about the friends we made along the way. Written by Chuck Palahniuk. I do love though how I do love how Martha doesn't talk the whole movie until the very final shot, basically. Right, which to Dylan's point, kind of like grounds the film in that humanity. Um, Veronica is checking out of the high school system, right? She's opting not to go to prom, not to engage in like the high school society and just hanging out with a person who who needs a friend. And, th- and that's how she's going to spend her time in high school. And it's a really sweet note to end the movie on after all of its cynicism that we've been through. Okay, I have a quick question. Maybe I'm way off. Was Maggie Gyllenhaal in this movie or did that girl look just like Maggie Gyllenhaal? Which... The dump she truck was not girl? in this movie, but no, her original best friend that she left for the click. Oh, Betty. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's an Estevez. Renee Estevez was that her? That's an Estevez. She's in like forty something episodes of uh, West Wing. She's another part. classic misdirect from this movie because you think she's going to be shown at the end all beautiful and with no glasses. Again, I think that's one of those things that's just in our mind though from later <laughs> movies. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like when um, Veronica's reading the uh, the diary out loud to us, the audience, like throughout the movie at the beginning and in other places. Dear diary, Heather told me she teaches people real life. She said, real life sucks losers dry. If you want to fuck with the eagles, you have to learn to fly. I said, so you teach people how to spread their wings and fly? She said yes. I'm like, oh, it's like in Mermaids. And, and then I checked and I was like, okay, Mermaids, Mermaids came out later. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. That's with Cher, right? Yeah. And Winona. Yeah, all the k- cool kids watch Mermaids. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love that movie. All right. Any final thoughts? Final, final thoughts. Yeah, I got... Brett, unload uh, them. You got like seven in your brain. I know you do. Unload all of them. I'm going to see if I can share this picture. It's my special treat to Stevie if it'll work. No, please work. <laughs> okay, do you, it's in the thread. Does everyone see that? We're, I see it. We're looking at a nerd wearing green and glasses for the audience at home. That is a personal hero to Stevie. He is the inventor of the dog court because he wrote the movie Air Bud. <gasps> no. Dude, get <laughs> 
out. Hollywood royalty. I want those spectacles. Those are dope. That guy wrote that guy wrote Airbud? That is Aaron Mendelson, the writer and creator of Airbud. That guy wrote the single greatest courtroom scene of all time. <laughs> he has like, great hair and his spectacles are like how those are the biggest glasses around I've ever seen. And of course ever. they got tape in between them. It's half of his face. I've been advocating for his style of doggy court forever. <laughs> And the fact that it hasn't happened yet is a crime against humanity. Brett, that is such a good find. Thank you. Yeah, I, yeah, I was like, well, I was looking through to see who died, and I was like, oh, cool. Another, my, Wait, probably my favorite. Died? No, 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 oh, he's alive. Oh, good. <laughs> that, this national treasure is still alive. <laughs> my favorite, although my favorite cameo is Hooch is Crazy, Phil Lewis. Yes. Uh, from Sweet Life of Zach and Cody's and Scrubs, you know, Hooch. You guys know who I'm talking about. Somebody. I know who you're does. talking about from Zach and okay. Cody, yes. And he, he's the yearbook guy in this. Yes, with the glasses. Also, my favorite quote of this movie is probably, Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and my last point, I thought it was really cool. I didn't notice this, but Veronica Sawyer and Betty Finn. Veronica and Betty from Archie and Sawyer and Finn from Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. I thought that was kind of cool. That's all I got. The only other final thought that I had is the, I think Josh may have touched on this a little bit, but the fact that like Veronica and the yellow Heather, Heather McNamara, I think her name is, the fact that they have like a good friendly relationship, I think goes a long way in this movie. And it's pretty subtle. Yes. But it's like, Veronica saves her from suicide and like yeah. Veronica also goes on a double date with her and you can tell that this Heather McNamara the yellow Heather isn't like a full on evil Heather like she might ascend to the throne of the Heathers at some good point Heather. if, yeah if there was a, a power vacuum but like <laughs> I, I don't know Dylan you like that too sort of that dynamic between the two yeah I think it's like most telling in the scene where Heather McNamara decides to call into this radio show I think it's called like Hot Probs and she's kind of talking well first of all she has some great uh, pseudonyms like Madonna and Tweety need a name but babe she's <laughs> she's just kind of like getting it all out there like letting it all off her chest like she feels like she kind of has these standards in this clique to live up to of, like being the captain of the cheer team and stuff like that and none of it's really come to fruition and just the reaction difference between Veronica who looks like very troubled by this and Heather Duke like indicates to you that Veronica has not fully committed to the Heather and or JD camp like there's still a Veronica in there with a heart also why are they listening to the radio in 1988 it's it's what you did like there's TV and stuff right no we did not do that in 88 okay I was pretty young but Wolfman Jack one I have one final comment or actually question but do you guys remember that scene from Roadhouse when Patrick Swayze's like, I went to NYU and I'm like, mm-hmm. I know all the religions of man. <laughs> <laughs> and when Nona Ryder is talking about like how I- high her IQ is and she's about to skip like four grades or something like that. Do, do you guys like that scene? Like, does that help you at all? Because I was supposed to be this big genius. The, the fact that she was like a child genius. I guess. It's kind of shoehorned in there, don't you think? I kind of agree. I don't think it was absolutely necessary. Yeah, they don't come back to it like at all. I don't. Maybe she's just trying to get, like, we're, we're going to hear something that she's telling Christian Slater. but. Uh, that it, I mean, I feel like a brainiac who was going to Stanford, you know, 
who could have graduated high school when she was probably 13 or 14 and be able to disable a bomb under pressure. That's what I think. <laughs> Come on, McGruber. <laughs> I think it uh, shows like some context into her character. She was like, yeah, I used to care about school and stuff until I became friends with these crazy psychos. And, and now I don't care about anything besides like the color of lip gloss I wear. I don't have a brand anymore. I think this movie is really self-aware, but I think this is just maybe one place where they could have shown that in a scene or two instead of her just saying how high her IQ was. That's a little lame. I guess last thing, Kim Kim Walker, the Heather. I mean, I think the last two things that she had in her mouth were some college guy's jizz and poison. So it's like pretty bad for her. What a way to go down. The only thing she spit yeah. out was the water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Every now and then a Josh will just flip the script on you, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, brother, this guy stinks! <laughs> oh, I love that. That's on the soundboard. That's perfect. <laughs> on that note, let's go to yes or no's. Wait, uh, real quick, can I, can I do one or two final thoughts as well? Oh, please, have at it. Yes. Okay, so one thing... I, if I'm trampling any sort of trivia or anything, please let me know. But did anybody read who the guy that penned this movie wanted to direct it? Yes. Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, Kubrick. Like, Ooh, that would have been good. Hmm. I don't, that's such an insane idea. I don't know how he thought like he could write a script and Kubrick yeah. would just be like, yes. I know the idea behind it was he was like, Kubrick has done every genre. He's done war. He's done horror. He's done sci-fi. What he needs now is a John Hughes-esque teen movie. <laughs> But that, I yeah. read that, I was like, this can't be real. I've got like a nice little outline on like Paul Thomas Anderson to direct to, but we all can't get what we want when it comes to comes to that. It was a little <laughs> bit aspirational. Yeah, I don't know. That was definitely a stretch, but I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, but the two other random things I wanted to give shout-outs to is uh, the sort of like very ethereal and strange score this this movie has. Like there's, I remember especially in sort of the like Kurt and Ram uh, chase scenes. There's some strange, like, electronic percussion. I don't know. It, it lends that kind of otherworldly feel to the movie. Um, and then I wanted to give the last little shout out of mine to a joke I liked, which is the mineral water joke. the The context of it is maybe not the best of of like the just of it being an object that they're gonna all associate with being gay. But I like the comedic premise of like this object that has no real meaning. Somehow the entire town has this one consensus on it, and when he pulls it out of the bag, he's like, "Does this answer your question?" Like, yeah, he's like, I lose my mind every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. That joke is is strange, and the context, like I mentioned, is not great. But the the beat and the premise is very funny. Agreed. Good deal. Well, let's do yes or no's. We're not going to do any certain order except for Pap requested to go first. Yeah, I got to pee. <laughs> I'm going to give my yes or no, then run outside and pee outside like a man. Um, but um, hard yes. First of all, I don't think we've said this enough this episode. Thank you, Film Dylan, for being a Patreon. I don't know if I can get a cheer from the soundboard for that. but oh, Of course. Come on, Mikey. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can get a cheer from the soundboard for oh, that. Sorry. There she is. <laughs> yeah, but... 
Yeah, huge thank you to Film Dylan. It really means a lot to have you uh, support certainly. us in this way. And I fucking love talking movies with you or lists with you or whatever we do. Um, interesting pick. I've been wanting to see Heather's for a while. The poster, and I would imagine the VHS box or the DVD box is very not good at conveying the kind of movie you're getting into. Um, it feels like a total subversion of things like the breakfast club and the brat pack that we've, we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but I was into it. The attention to detail, the production design, the costuming, all of them are top notch. I think the script is hilarious. So many of these lines have been quoted, or if you look, look at discourse around this film, people like really fall in love with a lot of these lines. And yeah, I think it's a good time. Um, weird movie to Josh's point definitely couldn't be made in a post Columbine world but I'm, I'm glad we have this like 80s artifact that is Heather so hard yes for me I'm gonna go pee now <laughs> okay let's go to Corey yeah this is Corey Kylo Ren memes great pick Dylan great movie uh, yeah. I'm gonna give the CS I liked it a lot it was my first time seeing it I didn't know anything about it other than I know a lot of people like it especially people my age and older and uh, the poster is awful. So <laughs> it just goes to show how the, the poster can influence you, your um, willingness to watch or not watch a movie because I, I just hadn't watched it. But it, it definitely surprised me, and it was funny, and it was interesting, and it's, um, it's not boring like it looks. <laughs> and, of course, I'm referring <laughs> to the poster again. Uh, great movie. I don't know what, what else to say. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, funny stuff. Uh, some good actors in there, namely uh, Festin from Three Ninjas. Highlight. <laughs> That's it. Shout out Festin. Shout out Festin. Um, I'll go next. I'll give it a yes. Pappy said uh, some stuff about Blue Velvet earlier in the pod and David Lynch, and I think that's very accurate. It gives me very... Uh, fever dreamy vibes. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, I get this feeling when I'm watching Lynch stuff that everybody has a baseline bad <laughs> uh, and they all are hiding secrets and stuff. And uh, yeah, that's like a, everybody in this movie has some secret or covering up something and they've all they all have moral problems and conflicts. Uh, and just like the the tone and kind of like the dialogue and we mentioned the music is really weird and kind of ethereal and the weird lighting and haziness of how uh, every scene looks it's all very david lynchy and i don't know i didn't know anything about this movie going into it and it yeah surprised me as well uh so i like when movies do that and it's not my favorite movie that we've ever done, film Dylan. Uh, <laughs> I really just so it caught me so off guard. Uh, I just don't know what I was expecting, maybe like halfway through. And so I'll still give it a yes, but just very jarring of what I was expecting. This is Josh from Goshen. I particularly liked how this movie ended with Winona Ryder and Martha Dunstock dump truck not going to prom and just deciding to like watch movies. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I was dating this, well, let's call her Veronica. I was dating this girl, Veronica. And when you are at Concord high school, juniors and seniors can go to the prom or invite someone to the prom 
freshmen and sophomores are by invite only. And she was a sophomore. I was a junior. And she was like a cool hit. She was super cute indie chick, like into quirky movies, cool music. And I was like, hey, let's just like, instead of going to prom, let's just like watch some movies and like hang out. And I thought I was like, (laughs) dude, she broke up with me before the prom even came because she didn't like, she was not a fan of that shit. Josh, that's every girl's dream. Dang. It's not where I thought the story would go. Fucking Rico Suave. Smooth move, buddy. Mikey, you really hit hit the nail on the head there. Thanks for bearing the lead for me. Anyway, I quite like this movie, yes. This is Brett. Uh, yeah. This is a yes for me. It's not like a crazy yes or anything. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I like black comedies, dark comedies, whatever you want to call them. I pretty much said everything else. I mean, it, it, it had some good themes. It got a little wonky towards the end, but that also kind of made it fun. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, I mean, it might not be a movie I watch again, but uh, good pick from Film Dylan and uh, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad I watched it finally. All right, awesome. I think that just leaves me, correct? Yep. Yeah, well, of course, it's a yes for me. I, I picked it, obviously, and uh, I'm I'm really glad I picked it because it, it did, uh, you know, exactly what I hoped it would. I, I think we got into some really good discussions on all sorts of fronts and also got kind of a mixed bag, which I think is kind of the best thing to kind of have a couple different viewpoints coming in. Um, obviously, I think this movie is very funny. I think it balances the very dark nature of its plot lines and themes extremely well. Of course, it misses a few beats here and there, and of course, it's got its problems, but I just like the bold idea of taking everything that, like, like Pappy pretty much nailed it, you know, taking everything that was laid out as these super serious problems in the Breakfast Club and just kind of slapping them around and saying, like, it's ridiculous and just lampooning it. Um, I think this movie really approaches a lot of these issues with, you know, while it has its serious commentary, a lot of it is tongue in cheek and saying a lot of these issues of high school are kind of overblown and, and, dramatize of course you know one of those main plot lines in the middle of this movie being everybody blowing up this thing into how can i benefit myself really and and uh you know i think the hippie teacher calls it an emotional outpouring of emotion which you can't word it better than that so um yeah it's definitely a yes for me uh very very happy that i'm a patron of this podcast you guys are awesome and this show rocks and i'm very glad i could come on here and and talk this movie with you guys so you're the best thanks he paid $5,000 to the super secret patron tier. 100%. Exactly. How much do you got to pay to be on the podcast, Pappy? Uh, as I said, for $25 a month, he can do literally stop it, anything. Stop it. Do no. it. <laughs> Josh. Yes. No way. Josh is our accountant guy. We're still going, working stop. out the numbers. You can run the Twitter feed for 24 hours. My price was I had to be friends with Josh for a long time. That's how I got on the All right, come on, man. No, I mean, that's, I got lucky. Brett paid the steepest price of all. <laughs> yeah, he was a Veronica to a Heather. Um, yeah, this is Stevie. Um, after, this is the first time I've ever watched this movie. It was really hard for me to digest. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Um, there's so many different tones. And after kind of talking it over with you guys and just having fun talking about it, I'll give this movie a yes. Not a soft nor a hard, but it's a solid yes. Um, I do like the comedy in this movie quite a bit. And I feel like this movie like spawned a lot of different movies and one god-awful TV show. Um, 
you know, I think, you know, I don't think Never Been Kissed would have been made without this movie. I think, obviously, Mean Girls falls in this category of, you know, it's directly related to this. And, you know, what this movie was very opposed of doing, uh, Netflix did with the show 13 Reasons Why. And that movie is just god-awful and far more dangerous than this movie ever could be. And I enjoyed watching this movie. Dylan, thank you for picking this. I had a lot of fun talking about it on this pod. So I'll give this a solid yes. Is the, the is this is Riverdale like this, Stevie? Riverdale is its own animal. And I'm waiting for one of our patrons to ask us to spoil every episode and season of Riverdale and just turn this into a Riverdale podcast. Um <laughs> Riverdale is a little zanier than this, but it's it falls along that line. You're right, Brett. This is like Ted Lasso kind of this this movie, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Christian Slater's positivity is very toxic to those around him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so everybody give this movie a yes. Preserved. Yep, that is preserved, certified. Yes. And certified jizz in the mouth. That's the food. Oh wait, this no. is certified spit in the mirror. Brett. What? <laughs> Jeez. Mm. <laughs> I got a really nasty look from Brittany. So as you should, spaghetti. Well, I'm not doing trivia tonight, but surprise, surprise, Pappy is. Pap, what do you got for us? All right, this is a game we played many times before uh, when we have a guest on the podcast. It comes by many different names. It could be. Fucked by film Dylan. It could be filleted <laughs> by film Dylan. It could be dicked down by Dylan. But I have a set of questions. I've refined the game. The uh, lifelines are distraction. So you, you get three strikes and you're out. But if you answer a question wrong and film Dylan answers it correctly, you are eliminated from the game. I took our trivia order from our uh, movie game rankings, which I now have written down, so it's easier to reference. So the order will be Stevie, Mikey, Josh, Brett, Corey. But Film Dylan will have a chance to answer all of these questions that you guys miss. Again, Film Dylan can eliminate eliminate you. Three strikes, you're out. Keep track of your own strikes. I'll do my best. Um, multiple choice. Stevie, are you ready? I cannot wait. <laughs> I, I'm pumped. Let's yeah. do this. This is a great game. Okay. Question one. These were random. Well, what, what, did, what did Dylan decide? The order? No. Are, are we getting fucked by film Dylan? Are we getting taken down oh, by Dylan? Oh, good point. All of the above. You know, whatever your cup of tea is, I'll let you decide. Poisoned. I'll DM you after the pod. It's not an alliteration, <laughs> Brett. Poison. Again, for $25 a month, you can do any of those things to us on the podcast. But Stevie, your first question How many episodes of the Cine Study podcast have there been? 30, 35, 40, or 45. This is of as of August 26th, the year of our Lord, 2021. What are my lifelines? You you can only miss. Three strikes. Three strikes. 30, 35, 40, or 45 episodes of Sinistudy. No, sir. No friends. Only right. family. Still, it's going to know. I don't have friends. I got family. <laughs> no. Well, sorry, folks. I'm going to be out. I'm going to say 45. That is, well, film Dylan? I can confirm. 
45 oh, episodes. Well done. What? Stevie nice. lives to see another day. Mikey. Winona Ryder was arrested in what year? 1997, 1999, 2001, or 2003? Mm, I want to say 03, just because I remember hearing about that, and that was probably the most lucid uh, I've been <laughs> at my, in my life in terms of celebrity news. It was uh, a sober year. Yeah, uh, so we'll say 03. Mikey, very sober when he was 13 years old, but unfortunately that's incorrect. Film oh. Dylan to, to fuck Mikey. <laughs> 1997, 1999, or 2001. So I kind of just have to totally guess. I'd love to know what she was arrested for because I don't Stealing know. a purse. Yeah. Stealing a purse. <laughs> and clothing. If I was Winona Ryder, when would I have stolen a purse? I'm going to say B, which was 1999, right? Yep, but unfortunate, or I guess fortunately for Mike, he gets to leave, live to see another day. Brett, do you know? <laughs> 2001. 2001. Yeah, 2001. After Mr. Deeds. I would have said 2003. Before or after 9 11? Because that, that matters. On September 12th, 2001. Well, on 9 <laughs> 11. That's why she thought she'd get away with it. Try to take advantage of the chaos in our country. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, she Josh, was going through some stuff. Yes, sir. You're up next. How, in, in millions of dollars, the closest number. How much did Beetlejuice make at the box office total during its all of its runs up to present day? Oh my god. 54 million, 64 million, 74 million, or 84 million? I'll phone a friend. The friend is me. Uh, <laughs> 74 million? Dylan to to dick down Josh. Is it <laughs> 54 million, 64 million, or 84 million? Uh, Beetlejuice box office. Yeah, again, I got to just take a shot in the dark. Uh, I'll go high roller, 84 million. Josh has been dicked down Uh, by Dylan. Why you got to do it to me, Dylan? 84 million. So, Josh. I'm sorry, Josh. It's just business. Josh Josh is eliminated. I'll scooch up. Brett. Sorry for yelling. Pate originates in what country? Ireland, England, France, or Germany? Oh, uh, I'll say uh, C, France. That would be correct. Pate, Brett, the French speaker. Pate. Nails it. Corey, rounding out round one. In 1968, the All England Croquet Club was founded in a suburb of London. Nine years later, the name expanded to take on another emerging sport now closely associated with London. What is that sport? C. Is it soccer, <laughs> cricket, rugby, or tennis? C. No. <laughs> Dylan, soccer, cricket, or tennis? I'm going to say closely associated Wimbledon, tennis. Very good. The the Wimbledon Croquet and Tennis Club. Corey, you have been dicked down by Dylan. Well, that was the plan all along. So now at the end of round one, it's Stevie, <laughs> no strikes. Mikey, one strike. Brett, no strikes. Stevie, in what country was the modern monocle first developed? Ireland, England, France, or Germany? Yeah, they're inventive. I'm going to say Germany. Very good, Stevie. Let's go. German definitely roots. Not, definitely not Ireland. No, th- those guys are blind. Mikey with one strike. Heather Locklear is best known for her role on what TV show? Melrose Place, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, Beverly Hills, 90210. 
Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear. Uh, Beverly Hills, not a 2 and 0. Mikey gets two strikes, but Dylan Oof. to eliminate him. Melrose, pl- Melrose Place, General Hospital, or Days of Our Lives? I'm struggling tonight. I, I do not know much about this. Uh, let's go General Hospital. Melrose. Melrose. Very good, Brett. Melrose uh, Place. Yeah. So Mikey has two strikes. Uh, Mikey choke and poke, split and get. Brett, <laughs> no strikes. Film Dylan is a merciful lord. <laughs> a cricket question? Crap. Yeah. My, or Brett, no how many wickets are there in a standard croquet game? Seven, eight, nine, or ten? Oh man, I just I tried to watch a video on this a while ago. It's so confusing. Uh, I'll go with seven. That's one strike. But Crap. Dylan, eight, nine, or ten wickets in a croquet game? Official rules, Wimbledon rules. Hmm. I'm gonna go nine. Brett has been dominated yeah. by oh Dylan. God. I should have so gone he, with that baseball. I got a JD kill streak right now. How long is the standard game of cricket though? Like two days, three days? It can it can last that long, but I don't know if it I don't know if the average. It's like would Quidditch. Be two days, it makes but. no sense. Stevie with no strikes. Mikey with two. Stevie, who won the World Series in the year Heathers came out in the United States, nineteen eighty nine? Oh, Who was the World Series champion of 1989? You sure didn't come on 88? Uh, doesn't matter. Who won the World Series in 1989? <laughs> the Oakland A's, the Minnesota Twins, the Los Angeles Dodgers, or the Cincinnati Reds? I think the Reds last won it in the 70s. I think the Twins won it with Kirby Puckett in 96. Maybe it was before that. What were the other ones? A's and Dodgers? A's, Twins, Dodgers, Reds. Ah. Uh, I don't. I don't think Kirk Gibson was eighty nine, but I'll say you know. Let's try Dodgers. That's one strike. Yep. But Dylan, the A's, Twins, or Reds, nineteen eighty nine World Series champion. I'm gonna go on a random hunch. Reds. It was Brett. Do you know it? If the A's beat the Giants. The Reds won in nineteen ninety. Stevie. Was it, was it Eckersley? Twins won in 88 and 91, I believe. Maybe 87. Was it, Way more info than I asked for, but yes. Was 91 Kirby Puckett? <laughs> yes, Kirby Puckett, <laughs> With yes. that awesome home run. Gray's sports almanac over here. <laughs> <laughs> the Oakland A's won. Mikey, sitting on two strikes, I prepared once again far, far, far too many questions for this <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Mikey, how many episodes of Recess? I mentioned the Ashleys earlier, based on the Heathers. How many episodes of the Disney cartoon ABC One Saturday Morning Show Recess were there? Mm-hmm. Were there 68 episodes, 88, 100, or 128? Mm, oh, wow. 68, um, 88, 100, or 128? You know, as a kid and you're watching cartoons, you try to catch as many as you can, but you never do. Uh, but it still always seems like, oh, there's probably like 500 episodes of this <laughs> cartoon. Uh, but that is never the case. Uh, and it's usually the lowest number. So I'll say 68. What was that? Yep. But that is the game. There were 128 uh, episodes of Recess. I have. But how many episodes of Scooby Doo? There was like 10. Don't know that, but I have literally like 15 questions left in the bank. But that's the end of the game, Stevie. What was the next question, Pat? I got to know. What was the top grossing, really easy one. What was the top grossing movie of 1989? Home Alone, Rain Man, 
Batman or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Oh. Batman. I want to say Batman. Home Alone. Correct. Two of those didn't come out in 1989. Yeah, I thought, I thought, this I famous, thought Home Alone came out in 90. Yeah, Home Alone's 90s, I think, yeah. Yeah, it was 90. Rain I, Man I pulled, was number five. Mm-hmm. One more, Stevie, before you toss it away to Spoiler Man. This famous Heather played Carol Ann in Poltergeist. Heather O'Rourke, Heather Graham, Heather Gray, or Heather Angel? Heather Gray? Heather O'Rourke. Heather mm. Gray was the name I made up. But, Stevie, you are our champion tonight. Happy. Yeah. You know how there's a lot of like school shooting stuff in this movie? Oh boy. The, there's a yeah. really famous yeah. school shooting in Finland. Um like eight people died, but the gunman was Pekka Eric Ovenen, and his dad actually named him after Eric Clapton. Oh my gosh. Let's go. <laughs> Way to end the podcast strong, Josh. Wow. <laughs> That is dark, but any Clapton hate on this podcast is more than welcome. So thank you, Josh. Average cricket match, seven and a half to eight and a half hours. Longest match ever, nine days. No wonder nobody watches that sport. Um, I just want to say thank you to all those that are listening. Uh, Thanks a ton, Film Dylan, for coming on here and picking such an awesome movie. Really. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being, like, active in the podcast. So... <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much. I'm not going to pass it. Ask Pappy what's coming down the line, because quite frankly, I don't know. No one knows. No one knows when it comes out. No one knows. Spooky spoilers. And um, that is it. That was spoilers. Special thank you to our patrons, Matt Troll. The extreme always seems to make an impression. Nick. Bringing every state to a higher state. Druid King. Hi. Just a little freaked here. Brother Brian. Yeah, 30 of those 4th of July fireworks attached to the trunk. Arraigned but acquitted. The Meg. Did you say a cherry or coke slushy? David. At least you got what you wanted, you know? Nurse Stacy. These are Ikluga bullets. My grandfather snared a shitload of them back in WW2. Brother Ellis. You'll be back. If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts, please check us out on patreon.com slash spoilers podcast. Our Instagram is podcast spoilers. It's lit. Look. You believed it because you wanted to believe it. Your true feelings were too gross and icky for you to face. (laughs) That was Spooky Spoilers. Spoilers.